Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. The life of David towards the end, and as you turn to, uh, I believe from... um, 2 Samuel chapter 23, and I just want to take a couple of verses from here because he's looking back and he's thinking about the good old days, thinking about the challenges he has faced, looking back to all that God has done, and then again, we'll be going to chapter 24. Here in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, you find in verse 1 and 2, now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of the Lord, the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my mouth. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spoke to me, for he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth even morning without clouds, as tender grass springs out of the earth by clear shining after rain. These words that come from the oracles of David. So when you turn to verse 1, these be the last words of David. Of course, this is the last oracle or what would be the psalm, but not necessarily the last words because the chapter continues to chapter 24 and then goes on to 1 Kings chapter 1. And then when you come to 1 Kings chapter 2, you're going to find his last words were literally to his son Solomon about building the tabernacle on that plot called Mount Moriah. Also telling him how to deal with Shimea, who insulted him, and also to deal with Joab, who really caused bad blood. So these be the last words, literally, in that sense. But here, when you read this, it says here, the Spirit of God, verse 2, and the oracles of God. So here is a dual words of God through David, and David indicting a good matter in the Spirit, speaking. It's a dual God speaking to David, and David speaking out what he feels in his spirit, almost like an oracle Uh, Not necessarily a psalm, but you find in this something very important. The way he looks back, he's now in the twilight of his years. Uh, He's 70 plus at this point. And you find that this is not the end of his life because in chapter 24 and then 1 Kings, you still have some uh, very important aspects of David's life. But what he's doing is he's saying these be the last words, verse 1, of David, and he introduces himself by saying, David, the son of Jesse, a very ordinary man, and yet not ordinary. In the good times, Jesse comes from Judah. That was the princely, uh, kingly home or tribe of the people of Israel. The man who was raised up on ice. So here's a man who was low, looking after the sheep. God raised him from taking care of the sheep coat of his father to be the shepherd of Israel. So he's raised by the anointed of God of Jacob. So he's talking about God who had anointed him. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
and the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. So all of this is a bit of introduction talking about him and how he looks back to say an ordinary kid who was watching his father's sheep and now raised up on high, anointed by the rock, the God of Israel, and anointed by God and the sweet psalmist. He goes on to say in verse 3, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me, he that ruleth over men must be just and ruleth well. For the next couple of verses, you're going to find towards the end of his life, he's more and more focusing on the one who alone can bring peace and rule human humanity. And ultimately that brings peace and the day springs out as he talks about that in verse four. So I just want to give three, uh, five words here if we have the time. I'll be talking about something as he looks back in hindsight, as he looks forward, number two, as he looks forward to what God has promised, and that would be uh, uh, foresight. The third would be as he look up, upside, and this is where he talks about God of Jacob, the rock. And number four, oversight as he looks around and what he sees with regard to all that he could give thanks to God for. And number five, insight, that is very important for us even as we uh, finish this. So we've been doing about David and about the wilderness experience. Now towards the end, he is now 70 plus years of age. At the age of 30, he became king. So for 40 years, he ruled over Israel and towards the end of his life, there has been peace. The Edomites, the Moabites, and all of the Isites come in and make peace and give tributary. So there was a prosperity and there's a sense of peace and all of this. Uh, but in chapter 24, really, it gets uh, a challenging uh, situation because he said the numbering the people. But let me just talk about number one, at the twilight of his age, as he looks back, Historically, we look back at 16, uh, 1621, literally the formation of what we call Thanksgiving and then formulated and announced and enunciated by the president, whether it be Washington or Lincoln, and over the years by uh, Roosevelt and others, making this a national holiday. In spite of what revisionists want to do away with Thanksgiving and the Christian part of it, almost making like it is other religion, it is purely to do with the Christian faith of the Puritan and those who love the Lord. And today, it has been an attempt to literally dug the names or simply put asunder people who created, in many ways they're not perfect, but certainly other nations are far from perfect. And one of the things we find is uh, people who rewrite history are trying so much to put America and Christians in the bad light. It's because people from across the world have come in and there are people in charge who hate the Lord Jesus Christ. They literally own up everything to do with mass media. And so certainly it's a revisionist view of this nation, a perversion of what the gospel is and everything that would be wrong. But when we look back, we need to give thanks to God. America is not perfect. But there were people who loved God, people who worshiped the Lord in spite of their imperfection, and they set things for us today. Once again, let me tell you, by no stretch of imagination are people 
are perfect, but God is perfect and his word is perfect. So as we look back, here is David looking back. And when we think about David looking back, the first thing we find is he is looking in hindsight. And so now he's saying, these be the last words of David, looking back and recognizing the solemnity, the moment that was so important. And he looks back to say, the sweet psalmist says, the spirit of God spake unto me. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel. So all of these bring together an aspiration of his heart, his life, a man who's seeking after God, a man who's not perfect and who committed sins. And yet in the midst of it all, a man who comes back loves God. So if you're looking for perfection, there is no one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet you find in this man, a man after God so not, because his heart was right with God, he was able to seek God, love God, follow God, and understanding the sweet psalmist that he wrote, psalms uh, that half of all the psalms are written by David, expression of his love, his devotion, and ups and downs of his life, and how God is leading and guiding him. So when you look into this chapter, some of the things that you find is very important because the first thing as he looks back, you remind yourself a very important thing. As he looks back to realize that he was but a shepherd in his father's house until by the direct revelation of God, prophet Samuel comes and in chapter 16 and verse 13 of 1 Samuel anoints him and the spirit of God came upon this young David, beginning of a powerful, tremendous move with the anointing of the Spirit of God that came upon him. By the time you come to chapter 17, he steps in the ring. A young kid that nobody could give uh, a two pence, would not even look at him, and yet he's standing against the Goliath of a man that others were so afraid. But the Spirit of God made him fearless in spite of his size. It was against a huge mammoth of a person. And by the time you come to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 47, he is coming in the name of the Lord because Goliath had insulted God. And so he says, you come, uh, blasphemy, but I come in the name of the Lord. By the end of this uh, chapter, you're going to find Goliath who boasted and he said, I'll throw your carcasses to the ravens was actually, that was the last word in one shot of that uh, stone and he fell flat. It was a great momentous joy. He was given a great promotion. By the time you come to chapter 18, verse seven and eight of 1 Samuel, the songs that the woman of Jerusalem was singing, Slaw as slain as thousand, David 10,000. David was attributed more that brought such a hurt and anger and then begins basically David being harassed, hostility in the court, and all this pointed against him, and God allowed it. And uh, this is a training that we talked about in the wilderness. As he looks back, he realizes the good graces of God, the mercy of God, and literally a large portion of the book of Psalm was written in those wilderness, in those caves, whether it be in Gadi or whether it be in the cave Abdullam. So it is in that wilderness, in those very difficult moments of his life, that he begins to think in the darkest moments of his life. And this is what you find about David, because when you read the, before uh, you read the Psalm on the top, 
But you find what David basically is going through a very difficult time. So whether it be Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all time, or whether it's Psalm 147, or all of the Psalms that we find it so enjoyable to read and thrills our heart, they become what would be in the most difficult time, he realizes that he would be overtaken with fear, despair, distress, depression, but he begins to praise God. Someone higher and greater than his enemies. And that has been a very important principle to David, overcoming depression, overcoming fear, overcoming the obstacles and the challenges that faced him. So here in David, you find these psalms are very powerful, powerful expression of thanksgiving, of praise, of giving glory, of giving honor to God. You know, when you think about Paul, as he writes in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You don't need to seek the will of God when it comes to praising the Lord. It is the will of God, not just one day, every day. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus in everything, in good times, bad times, to give thanks and praise to God. The moment we live in today has not been the greatest time. In fact, the last two years has been an upheaval, has been the up and down, more down than anything else. And that's the, basically you see the stock in the house and everything plumbing down. It has been in terms of people's lives as well. And these have been the most difficult times. So if David was here, he would say, give thanks to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. So in one of his most difficult of all moments, he writes Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2. Just let's read this. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. And verse 2 goes on to say, sing unto him, sing psalms to him. Talk you of all his wonderful works. So it's giving thanks and talking of all his wonderful work in a time. In the most difficult period of our history, of our lives, we have never passed this way. So this is what we would call, as he looks in hindsight, the things that have happened to his life. And how praise to God and thanksgiving to God has pulled him out of the most difficult moments of his life. Whether it be with the Goliath or whether it be with Saul, whether it be in terms of the enemies in the Philistines. All of this, as he looks back to the point he becomes king in Hebron and ultimately the whole of Israel. It brings to us something very important. In hindsight, he looks back to give thanks to God. Secondly... It is looking forward. That is simply to say uh, a time when he is foresight, looking forward to. Listen to what he says in verse three, verse 5 of this chapter 23. He says, The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake, he, ruleth, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. What you find is he's talking about something now that if you were to take into English form, it's a little hard. It's almost like a riddle. But in the Hebrew, as it's translated, it's very powerful. What he says about is the future of what would take place. He says, although my house be not so, but he has made an everlasting covenant, verse 5, 
I ordered all things, and sure, for this is my salvation. All my desire through he make it known, uh, make it not to grow. In verse 3, he tells something very important. He that ruleth all men might be just and ruling in the fear of God. One who rules the universe, one who rules humanity, will be the one that would be in the fear and the spirit of God justly and righteously. Talking about not him, because as good a king he was, he had his failures. Uh, he had those uh, feeble moments, those time of indecision and bad decisions, time when he was angry, times he made ra rash mistakes. In the midst of all of this, he's looking to something that is very powerful. So when you think about when he looks forward to, he's looking at the one that Yahweh has promised him. You know, when you turn to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 13, you read this, the very words that God promised him. So let's just go to this 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. Um, I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles, um, where, where were we? Hold it. It is uh, not uh, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 11. 2 Samuel and since the time that I've commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I've caused thee to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make thee a house. So here's uh, David wanting to make a house for David, but God speaks to Nathan and says, go tell him, I want to make a house for him. He says, I've never seen a man who's more concerned about me. I dwell not in houses made by man, but here's a man who's so concerned about me, because he says the tabernacle of God lives in a little place. Um, the whole heaven and earth cannot contain me. But to Nathan, he says, go tell David that I am going to build the house. So in verse 12 of Second Samuel chapter 7, and when thy days be fulfilled, this is the, almost the end of his days, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Who is he talking about? And verse 13, he goes on to say, He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne of his kingdom forever. Luke chapter 1 talks about it in verse 13 onwards. Then when you turn to verse 13, let's read that verse 13 again. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne, the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, when you turn to verse 16, look what he says. He says, and thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever and forever. So now when you go back to verse 3 of 2 Samuel and verse 23, He's talking about this king who will be the ultimate king of the universe, verse uh, 5, who will literally be the one in charge of everything. You know, when you look at the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew and Luke writes about it. But when you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, look how in a way that Matthew begins. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham going all the way to Abraham. But if you want to go to verse 6, 
it actually goes on to say of chapter 1 and verse 6, it culminates in the Lord Jesus. And Jesse begat David the king. And David the king begat Salmon of her that had been the wife of Urias. And as you follow the line all the way, you're going to find and Christ Jesus. It's a, a record, a chronology that has been preserved. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. That's number two. And that is the first we talked about the hindsight. The second we talked about the foresight. The third, I want to talk about the upside. The upside simply means in verse 3 of 2 Samuel uh, 23, look what he's saying. He's making reference to the God of Israel. He's making reference to the rock of Israel. He's making reference to the fear of God. All of this is very powerful. And I want you to realize he's talking about Israel, God of Israel. Simply means he is a God who's not just Israel universal, but there is a word he says, the rock. And what is so important is when you do the book of Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the rock, but then not only is the rock, but there's a rock that followed them that gave water. It's not literal Mount Horeb, but literally a figurative simile that speaks about someone sturdy and strong like a rock that stood with them, that protected them, that watched over them. So when you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, coming to the New Testament, Paul is alluding to what would be after 400 years of captivity and the people of Israel coming out and what you find, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we're talking about the rock of the Old Testament, finds its way into the New Testament, he's still the God who is rock. And then we are told the rock that followed them, the rock that guided them, was none other than the Lord. But he goes on to say to the church in Corinth, you know, God did not spare the people because they took lightly. They went into idolatry and all sorts of uh, sin, and finally God gave them up. And so he's telling the church in Corinth, you need to be careful. And so he said, we're still serving God, the eternal God, the God who is our rock, and be careful. Do not dismiss that rock that gives water, that gives salvation, that gives strength, that covers us, that graces us, enriches us uh, in every aspect of our spiritual as well as our lives. What I find strong about this is a reference to the Lord being the rock, and that is very important. He talks about the God who is be with him and over the years continued with him. So as David is looking back, he's talking about something very powerful, very, very powerful image of God. And he mentions of him who has been his help and he's been his rock. When you turn to Psalm chapter 18 and verse 2 and 3, listen to what the psalmist David says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. Verse 3, he goes on to say, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. So this is very powerful picture that we find 
of this precious God, this powerful God who is the rock, who is the God of Israel. And so we find in the New Testament, Paul is saying we serve the same God. And this rock that followed is the rock that is giving us salvation and giving us all the spiritual help we need. Now, the upreach simply is a time when he is looking and not just looking in hindsight, not just looking in foresight, but looking in upside to say, it is God who has preserved me, God who has kept me, and we don't have time to run through the psalmist because of lack of time. The many psalms that gives thanks to God as he looks back and as he looks forward, giving thanks and praise to God. Psalm uh, all the way from 105 to 117 is nothing but praise, 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 praise. And then continues to God's mercy in Psalm 136, and by the time you come to the end of Psalm 150, it is let everything that had breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Number four is something, it's called oversight. So not just hindsight, not just foresight, not upside looking to the rock, but an oversight simply means something very important. You know, when you turn to 1 Samuel 23 and verse 5, he first begins, although my house be not so with God. What he means is, of course, he has the horrible memory of his sin with Bathsheba. He reminds, of course, he can never forget Uriah the Hittite, uh, that he is the cause of his death. Although he commanded Joab to do it, it links directly to him. So he's simply saying, although my house is not with God, in that sense, I messed it up. I basically am the cause of the house, literally the sword being over my house, uh, uh, consequences of my sin. And I want us to realize Psalm 51, Psalm 32, Psalm 38, is a psalm crying out to God for forgiveness, a penitent, asking God, seeking God as a sinner that needs grace and that needs covering. You know, what is so important is when you read this, we're reminded of what 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 says. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here you find God did forgive him. God did have mercy upon him. God did grace him. And so when you look at an oversight, God's grace covered him. God's grace watched all over him. That makes it so important. You know, one thing I find is God reaching out to him. And when you go all the way to the New Testament, look at what it says in Galatians chapter 13. Uh, look what it says in verse 22. God calls him a man after his own heart. This is all after the sin and all. How could that be? Because the blood of Christ has forgiven him. When you turn to verse 29, here is uh, Paul speaking to the, uh, to the uh, basically in the temple. He says it is God who reached out to David and David is dead. But what is this talking about? So when you turn to Acts chapter 13 and verse 34, listen to what Paul is saying, uh, Peter is saying, as concerning that he raised him from the dead, 
now no more to return to corruption. Talking about the Lord Jesus, he said on this wise, I'll give you the sure mercies of David. That is so profound. That is so powerful. When you go through these passages, you're going to see an overview of what God is doing. God has reached out to him. And when you look at an over panoramic view of what God has done, it is very powerful. Raised him up, made him a king. He looks back with thanksgiving, profound thanksgiving to God. We look back and realize we have our own mistakes. We have our own sins. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God that he receives us and hears our prayer and is able at the prodigal son to cover us with the rope of righteousness and with the rings of authority and the shoe of peace. We could go about doing his will. But I want to come to final because of the time I've cut a couple of things. But, you know, there is a passage that you read in chapter 24. And when you turn to chapter 24 of the book of Psalm, and verse 25, you find a very sad commentary here. In fact, in this passage, in 25, uh, it's Second uh, Samuel chapter 24, and verse 25, And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. The Lord was entreated for the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel. In fact, when you turn to chapter 24 and verse 1, Here's a man, even at a later age, basically did a very big sin. Now, you might not think it's uh, grievous, but it says here, and again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. Why would that be? God sent him leanness of his heart somewhere while he was up and above, and this is the most dangerous place to be, up on the height. Many a great men began humbly, moved mightily of God, and by the end they become so prosperous and so rich, and sometimes in a, in a very high look position, they forget all what God has done for them. And that is the moment in the height that they make the biggest mistake. Here the mistake that David did was to count people. Uh, what is the harm in counting people? There's a book called Numbers. But I want you to understand that Deuteronomy tells, tells us that every time you count people for the sake of this, that they should be, that they should, there would be sacrifice for them. Because it's a sacrifice for the number of people the nation has to make a sacrifice. That the numbers would be covered. God specifically said to the people of Israel, it's not by horses, not by strength, not by numbers, just in case you boast yourself. That's why the wilderness training. They would give glory and give honor to God. Uh, what is so remarkable is in this chapter, you're going to find it says God allowed it. But when you turn to First Chronicles chapter 21, it says Satan caused David. Now, what is it? Is there something wrong here? It's not contradictory. The writer in 1 Samuel is saying the Lord, and in Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 21, he's talking, uh, ch chapter 21 and verse 1 is saying Satan, what it means is ultimately is the permissive will of God. Satan did it, but God has to allow it. So it simply means that even though Satan did it, nothing can happen 
without the permissive will of God. So here is one, the chronicle tells you God allowed it. Samuel says, say, and Chronicle says, God, uh, Satan did it. However, the reason was, somewhere David became proud. Look at the accomplishment. Look at the, uh, the vast domain. Look at how people pay homage to me. It is all by my strength, by my horses, by my foot soldiers, the, the cavalry, and so forth and so forth. And what happened was, God was displeased. You can never take the glory of God and attribute it to yourself. Have you heard testimonies of people beginning in a humble way and by the time it's finished, it's all about them and God is missing somewhere? And that is so, so sad. It's accomplished by their feet, by their strength. God is very displeased with that. When any man takes the glory for what God has done, never do it. And at that moment, three choices are given. And it is, David is put in a fix. All of them are difficult. Ultimately, he says, you can do it because he's gone through famine. He's gone through pestilence. He's also gone through in the wilderness being chased. So he said, God, do it. And by the time God has dealt with it, it's a collateral damage. Many a times we find that people suffer because of people in control make decisions against God. And it's a collateral damage. But what David does is he cries out, and God, why are you hurting them? It's me. Destroy me and my family. He humbles himself. I want you to realize this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 simply tells all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what you find in this is something happens when God reaches out and forgives him. The next couple of verses, I just want you to know what takes place when you turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 23. God is telling him to go to the threshing floor of Aruna, and he's also called by another name. But remember, this man was once the Jebusite king that David had conquered. That was his portion of land. So when you read 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 23, you're going to find that he goes to uh, Aruna as, as a, and he's, he's the king of, uh, at one time, Jerusalem, which, of course, he's conquered. And Aruna says uh, to the Lord, the Lord, God, thy God, accept thee. And he goes on and says, what do you want? And he says, the portion of land, because it is at this point, the angel of the uh, Lord stayed his sword because David had repented. And he goes to buy this piece of land. Uh, when you turn to what would be first... Uh, Chronicles chapter 21 and verse 24. It's a little clearer here because this is also this called king is also called Ornan. And the king David said unto Anan, you know, when the king said, Hey, take it. By all means, you can take this land. I'll be more than happy. And David said, No, no, no. He says, But I will verily buy it for the full price. What do you mean? You see, my friend, God will not accept the sacrifice of uh, Ornan. He accepts the sacrifice of David. The thing about what he says, keep this up, he says, I will give the full price. I will not give something cheap to God. To God. It's so pathetic that we spend a whole lot for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and when you look at all that we spend, it hardly amounts anywhere near what we have given to God, even at the end of the year. Take a calculation. All the holidays we spend 
We give here, we give there, but the time when you calculate what you are given to for God and his kingdom is minuscule. It's such pathetic. But what David says is he deserves the best. No, I don't want it free. I'm willing to pay the full price. Don't give me concession. God deserves the best because God has done the best. If you have seen forgiveness, if you have seen plagues dropped in your home, in your family, in your nation, money is of no consequences. Don't count like a tip giving to God. God needs to be praised. And David is profuse and so enthusiastic about worship. I talked about David being a passionate man. But let's just read from verse 24, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 24, and you're going to find something very important. And King David said, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. He said, take the threshing floor, take the uh, animals, take all of the implements that you have for the threshing floor, do all you want, it's yours, gratis. David said no. Verse 25, he goes on to say, and David gave Ornan for the place 600 shekels of gold by weight. When you turn to verse 26, it goes on to say, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offering and peace offering and called upon the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. God was well pleased. When you turn to verse 27, you find, uh, verse 26, let's go to 26, and David built an altar unto the Lord. Now just hold there. This is not just any place. It's a familiar place. This was the place that Abraham was to sacrifice his son, and God provided a lamb for him. This is Mount Moriah, and it is on this mount that you find David gets this revelation. And what is incredible is, is this becomes the temple which ultimately would be mightily used. You know, this is right now the Dome of the Rock, which is the third biggest shrine to the Muslims. It's really the most important to the people of the Jewish faith. There will be the building built, but I want you to realize we are looking backward and forward, but what you find in this man is something very important. Let me close with this. Here is David who sinned. And it would have been the end of a glorious life. When he looks back, he's looking at, my God, I failed you with Bathsheba and also with this Uriah the Hittite. You mean you're out, you're cast out. I may be speaking to someone you're almost beyond the pale of salvation, you might feel. But David repented. And I'm not talking about the new twin. People say, oh, it's cheap grace. Let's take the Jewish scriptures. It's not cheap grace. David repented, just as it is in the New Testament, and God forgave him. And I'll tell you something most important. Even though he sinned and God forgave him, out of this comes Solomon excuse me, of Bathsheba, a king who built the temple. Excuse me, this whole family would have been ruined, but the man came clean, and God used Bathsheba to bring Solomon, and Solomon was the one who followed. God called him Jedida, the darling of God. Excuse me, 
Forgiveness, repentance makes a big difference. That's why David was so profuse in giving thanks to God. Second mistake. David should never have counted. He got proud, but God knocked him down. There was a consequences, a punishment. That would have been the end of Israel. But David fell on his floor. And God spoke to Gad and said, go to David. He is on his floor. I've stayed the end of the angel with the sword. Tell David to go and make sacrifice. This is incredible. The, the Jerusalem would have been destroyed because of what David did. A collateral damage. When David sought forgiveness, the very fact that this led to the revelation where the temple, where the priest, where the sacrifices could be performed. What I'm trying to say is God turned the mistakes and turned it around for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. All things work together for good. And as David looked back, he could say, thank you, God. I would have been destroyed. What, what I did with Bathsheba and Uriah, but look, in mercy, in spite of all of that, you gave me Solomon. The nation and I would have been destroyed in my family, but you had stayed the hand of the angel with the sword. And there you revealed the temple of God where sacrifices are made. You see, my friend, the most notable work of David, apart from the fact the greatest empire in Israel of all time, is this, the temple of God. He wanted to build, but David, God said, not you, your son will build you because you, you're a man of blood, a war. But that was the greatest desire. In this you find the temple for hundreds of years, which became the focal point of the worship of the nation of Israel. As David looks back, I mentioned to you, most all his psalms were written in the most difficult of times. Well, let's just read Psalm 147. Can we stand to read that psalm? This is a psalm that is so important to us even today. Let's read this together because it's so meaningful, especially during this time. Chapter 47, verses 1 to 6 is very poignant because it speaks about why we should be grateful. Let's read that from 1 to 7. Six. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant and praises calmly. The Lord built up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcast of Israel. He healed the broken in heart and binded up their wounds. He telleth the number of stars. He called them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the, the meek and casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praise upon the harp unto our God. Shall we just say once again, sing unto the Lord, go ahead in verse 7, sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving, sing praises upon the harp unto our God. Shall we stand as we sing with the, uh, with the choir people, folks here today and give thanks to God. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. 
To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.